Great to see you. Thanks for coming, kicking off the new year with us uh, today, braving the chilly temperatures. Um, it'll be 70 by Friday, so welcome to Georgia. Uh, we don't have to worry about anything. Uh, th- here's the thing about the, the cold weather. January, February, they're not, really, not, they're not really good travel months. Like There aren't very many people who plan vacations in January. February, maybe some of the snow ski uh, crowd, uh, but for most of us, January, February is not ideal vacation time, uh, one, because we're all broke, right? We like, spent our wad on Christmas, and now we're trying to pay off a credit card, so we have no money in January, February. Um, the kids aren't out of school, and it's going to be a little while before they really get a break where you could, where you could go out of town, and it's cold. Like, who wants to vacation when it's freezing cold? So January, February aren't real good travel months, vacation months, but they are good travel planning months. Like some of you uh, yesterday in the blizzard of 2017, as you were trapped in your house, you were already thinking, When's the first time I could get to the beach? Like, when's it going to be warm enough? Summer's going to get here. You remember that? Some of you are old enough to remember that Coke commercial. Uh, it started out with something like, uh, we interrupt this winter to bring you this message from summer. And then it showed you all of these clips of the beach and water skiing and picnics and outdoors and, and the heat. Uh, some of you, your mind's already going there, like countdown to hot weather, countdown to summertime. So while January, February are kind of lousy vacation months, they're excellent vacation planning months, uh, picking out hotels and condos and going to Kayak and Expedia and uh, VRBO and checking airfare, see if anybody's got a really good deal for like June, first week of June when you can get out of here and go somewhere warm. We are metaphorically, we're, we're beginning our, our travel through 2017. And so as, as we think about traveling into 2017 and traveling over these next couple of months, 12 months, um, one of the things I want us to think about in, in the next four weeks is what we're packing for the trip. What are we packing for 2017? And, and maybe what are we unpacking? What, what are we leaving out of our suitcase? Because sometimes that can be more important. How many of you travel with the chronic overpacker? Like you have somebody in your travel party, they are, yeah, exactly. They've been to the same place like 20 times. They know what to expect and they still manage to pack way more than you could ever wear on a five, six, seven day Vacation. How many of you, let's just be honest, we're, we're friends here. How many of you are the overpacker? Just own it. Yes, thank you. You know yourselves. You're not even ashamed to look at you. Yep, that's me. I overpack every single time. Even when somebody says there is no possible way you could wear that many shoes in five days, you take that as like a challenge, right? Like, no, I'm going to put two more pair in here and show you that you can, right? How many of you end up carrying the bags of the overpacker? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And if they just raise their hand, they're bitter about it. So, all right. They don't say that, but you know they're bitter about that. Um, Traveling is often more about what you leave than what you take. 
because you, you really don't need as much as you take most of the time. They forget, you know, we're, we're going to be in this one place. We're, we're going out to eat like a couple times. There's a washing machine. You could wash your clothes and wear the same thing later in the week. Or it's vacation. You could not wash your clothes and wear the same thing later on the week. I mean, that's what vacation is. They just forget all of that. We're moving into 2017. And maybe before we start thinking about what we need to take with us, maybe we need to start thinking about some things that we need to leave out. There's some things that we just need to reach into our life and pull out. I was once told that when you're going on a trip, pack everything you think you're going to need and then take out half of what you pack. That may be an exaggeration. But as we're heading into 2017, I think, I think there are some things we just need to leave in 2016. We just need to leave behind before we start into this new trip. And, and, and here's the first thing. We'll take up something different every week. Here's the first thing that you and I need to unpack as we head into 2017, and that's regret. Those, those things that kind of stay in our mind that cloud of that thing that happened. One of the biggest challenges of starting a new year is avoiding the temptation to bring all of the, the negatives, the baggage from the previous year. And, and I, know, I know new years are just a day, right? It's just a number. You just turn the calendar. We talked about that last week. It's not like a magical moment, but it's a pretty good moment to remind myself that Maybe I'm bringing some stuff mentally. Maybe I'm bringing some stuff, some stuff spiritually with me from the past that I need to let go of. Because here's what will happen. Regrets from the past have a way of sabotaging our future. When we hold on to that thing, that frustration, that disappointment, that failure, it has a way of derailing where we're supposed to be going. So let's give some definition to regret, uh, like this one. Regret is allowing my decisions in the past to steal my direction for the future. Regret is allowing my decisions in the past. They were real decisions. Maybe they were real failures. Maybe they were terrible decisions. Maybe they are terrible failures. Maybe it's like a big, huge train wreck. Maybe that's really real. But when I give the past power to steal the direction of my future, then I'm the one that suffers. And, and those around me are the ones that suffer. Regret has that power if we give it. It has the power to take our decisions in the past and, and, and cause it to steal the direction where God wants me to go. Because we said last week, God's got destinations for us in 2017. God wants you to become certain things. God wants you to accomplish certain things. God wants you to experience certain things and enjoy certain things and go to certain places. And one of the things that will keep you from that is regret. Regret is simply allowing my past to steal from my future. And as we, as we turn this page into the new year, maybe this needs to be dealt with in your life. Because I, I promise you, what you can't do is you can't bring regret from the past and be who God wants you to be in the future. Those two just don't go together. You can't keep bringing this burden, this, this failure, this cloud into the new year and expect to become what God wants. Now, I'm not suggesting 
that whatever that thing is is not a big deal. It may have been a really big deal. It, it, it may have been a really big disaster. It may have been a really bad choice on your part. What I'm saying is, God has never called anybody to go back and li- relive the past. What He has called us to is to fully live the future. And you can't fully live the future if you're trying to relive the past. you got to let go of one or the other. And you're either going to sacrifice your future for your past, or you're going to leave your past so that you can experience your future. God's not calling you to relive 2016 and fix it. You can't. God's not calling you to relive 2007 or 1999 or whatever that year is or whatever that memory is for you. He's not calling you to relive your senior year in high school and fix it, right? Or your college years or your first marriage or your last job or what. God's not saying you can go back and fix that. You know that you can't. But bringing that regret with you into the future is trying to do that. It's trying to go back. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't take failure seriously. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't take mistakes seriously. But there's a difference between seriously dealing with my failures and allowing my failures to sabotage my future. It's a big difference. Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, he writes a lot of the New Testament. Paul deals with this difference between two approaches. And we're going to get into that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you want to follow in your Bible, it's in the New Testament, the second big part of the Bible. It's close to the end of the Bible, comparatively speaking. 2 Corinthians 7, the verses are going to be on the screen. It's in the YouVersion app if you're following along on that. Let me give you a little backstory to Paul. Paul was not one of the 12 disciples. Maybe you've heard of them, and they joined up with Jesus when he was living on earth, and they followed him around, listened to his teaching, saw him do miracles. Paul was not one of those guys. But shortly after Jesus dies and rises again and goes back to heaven, Paul has an encounter with God, with Jesus, and, and becomes a follower of Christ. He had, he had grown up in a Jewish context and home and tradition, and, and he leaves all of that, and he follows Jesus, becomes one of the primary missionaries of the early church. So he's spreading the gospel all over the country, expanding it to non-Jewish people. And in this process, Paul begins to write letters, primarily to churches and pastors. A lot of them churches that he had started, and he writes letters of encouragement or correction and and sends them. Most of those those letters we have in the New Testament. There's There's a belief, pretty good confidence, that we don't have all of his letters. Some of them were lost to history. For whatever reason, God didn't preserve those like he did the rest of the scriptures. We feel pretty certain that there were multiple letters written to this church in Corinth, which is what First and Second Corinthians are. One, maybe two. And Paul refers to at least one of those letters in what we're about to read. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 8, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, that's the letter that we don't have. So what Paul's saying, look, I know that I dropped some pretty heavy stuff on you in that last letter. And what had happened is the Corinthians had failed. They had done something really, really wrong, really, really bad. And we won't get into the specifics, it'll muddy the water. But Paul had confronted that in his last letter. 
He said, hey, you guys, this is wrong, and you need to stop, and you need to stop now. So now he's writing the follow-up, and he says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Now just pause. If you read Paul, or if you start to read Paul, sometimes it's like reading a letter from a guy with multiple personalities. Because Paul's like here and there and yes, and, and then I did, but I didn't, and I wanted to. But, and, and he kind of doubles back to make his argument. You kind of have to stay focused when reading Paul, and that's, that's where we are here. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, but I kind of did regret it. I mean, at the time I regretted it, but I don't regret it anymore. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. So there it is. I, was, I, I thought this may be bad, and then it wasn't bad, and I realized you got my point, and so I feel good about that. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. So Paul's setting up this argument that there is a way to feel grief about my past that is as God intended. In other words, it's the right way to approach my past. It's the right way to approach my failures, my discouragements, my disappointments, all the times that I've blown it. There's what he's going to call godly sorrow. Like, this is the right approach. And he's going to argue that that approach leads to really healthy endings. At the same time, he's going to argue there's a way to feel bad about your past that's only going to be unhealthy for you. It's only going to be negative for you. It's only, only going to be crushing for you. He's going to call that worldly sorrow. So there's a way to feel bad about what I did that's healthy, and there's a way to feel bad about what I did that's unhealthy. Verse 10, godly sorrow, the, the right way to go about this, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but, contrast, Worldly sorrow brings death. So healthy way, no regret, salvation. Unhealthy way, regret and death. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Again, he's not suggesting, I'm not suggesting that there aren't times that we should feel bad about decisions that we've made. There are times that we should feel the weight of doing the wrong thing, but there's a right path to choose from there. There's a right way to pursue that. And and here are some of the distinctions. Repentance, which is what Paul says is the right way. Repentance addresses failure head on. Regret, which is what he's saying is the wrong way. Regret glances at failure and tries to avoid it. Like repentance looks it square in the face and says, yep, that was me. Yes, I did that. Remember Paul's comments in verse 8? He said, he said look, I knew this was going to sting. Like if you really read what I said in that other letter, I knew this was going to hurt because in order to get to the positive, to the healthy end of repentance, we have to own what happened. We have to say, yeah, that was me. I made that decision. It was was kind of a confrontational approach that Paul took with the Corinthians because he knew unless you own this, you can't get past this. Unless you look in the mirror and say, yeah, I did that. I said that. I was responsible. Then you can't experience the healing and health that God wants 
to give you. Now, my point is not that we should be Paul, right? This is not like, okay, I'm going to go around and tell everybody what they need to be confronted with. Paul's not who we need to be like in this. The example is we need to be like the Corinthians who receive that and say, yeah, I'm not going to make any excuses. I'm going to own this. In our culture, we, we have a, a, a language that it's, it's the non-apology apology. Do you hear this? We, we have the non-apology apology. Celebrities, politicians, and famous athletes are masters of this. It, here's, here's what the non-apology apology sounds like. I'm sorry if you were offended. I'm sorry you felt that way. <clears throat> I'm sorry if you misunderstood. It's the non-apology apology. It begins with I'm sorry, but then it begins to explain how you're really the one who messed everything up. Like, I'm sorry that you're so stupid. That's, that's basically what the non-apology is. I'm sorry that you took it that way because that's a dumb way to take it. And it immediately shifts the blame from me to you. It, it, it's not what I did. It's because you didn't understand. It's because you had the wrong emotion. You were the wrong one. And that's the non-apology apology. It, what, what repentance does is repentance doesn't sidestep what happened. Repentance doesn't blame Repentance doesn't say, well, you just misunderstood. Repentance says, no, it was me. I made the decision. I chose. I went down that path. It was me. We didn't talk about what the issue was that Paul was addressing. But it's important to know that there's this third party at work. In other words, there was this group of people that led the Corinthians down that path. There was this group of people who came in and began to say, no, you need to do this. No, you need to believe this. No, this is what you really need to do. And they began to follow that group. But if you notice, as Paul's dealing with this, he doesn't really mention them. It's Paul's way of saying, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. I, I, I'm talking about what you did. I'm talking about what you decided. I'm talking about what you said. I'm talking about the habit that you've formed. I'm talking about you. And don't sidestep it. Don't say, yeah, but they. Yeah, but if it was this circumstance. Yeah, but you don't understand. Just say, yes, it was me. That's what repentance does. Regret, on the other hand, is kind of glancing at it and trying to get away from it. As a matter of fact, that's why regret keeps coming back, because I don't ever deal with it. I don't ever look it in the face and say, I made the wrong decision. I said the wrong thing. I was at the wrong place. And I keep trying to sidestep it. I keep trying to get over it. I keep trying to move past it. But I can't move past it because I don't own it. I don't say, no, it was me. It was me. I did that. I said, it was me. Another difference between these two approaches. Repentance leads to freedom. Regret leads to death. Repentance leads to freedom. Regret leads to death. Again, verse 10. Godly sorrow, the right way to approach this, brings repentance that leads to salvation. Like it sets you free. Like when you own it, when you, when you embrace the grace and forgiveness of Jesus because, because you have named this is it, this was me. Paul says salvation, like freedom, like the chains come off. Like you get to walk in light and in freedom and you don't have to carry it around anymore. 
John, who was a disciple of Jesus, he writes in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Right there. It's gone, God says. It's gone. Forget Slate's clean. We're not revisiting it. Just, just bring it to me. Just own it. And let's wipe the slate clean. David, Old Testament David, fought Goliath, was king of Israel. He had a long list of things to regret, humanly speaking. Like tons of stuff that he could have regretted in his life. And in Psalm 103, he writes, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This is the guy who would match you item for item of things to regret. And he said, I realized that when I bring it to God, God takes it away. As far as the east is from the west, it's gone. And it's never coming back. It's gone. Paul, who writes 2 Corinthians 7 in Romans chapter 8, he writes, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's Paul's way of saying that voice that keeps blaming you, that's not God's voice. I mean, if you've repented, if you've owned it, if you brought it before God and sought His forgiveness, that voice that keeps saying you're not good enough, you failed, you're never going to measure up, God can't use you, that's not God's voice. And maybe what some of us need to do in 2017 is start training our mind to say, that's not God's voice. That's not, maybe it's my voice, maybe it's my friend's voice. Maybe it's my parents' voice. Maybe it's somebody I work with. Maybe it's their voice. Maybe it's the enemy's voice. It's not God's voice because God doesn't keep coming back and coming back and coming back. There's freedom. There's salvation. I'm free when I just bring it to God and own it. The contrast is if I don't, if I just try to manage this myself, if I just keep explaining it away, Paul says the other side of that is, is leading you to death. It's leading you through regret. That's Paul's way of saying, look, this is killing you. Like, why are you still carrying this around? It's eating you up from the inside out. This is killing you. Maybe not physically, but mentally and emotionally and certainly spiritually, maybe even relationally. This is eating you up because you just won't give it to God. And you won't leave the past in the past, another difference, repentance, godly sorrow, healthy direction, repentance leads us forward, regret just keeps drawing us back, it just keeps tugging us back into the past where we can't fix anything. Paul writes in verse 11, this is 2 Corinthians 7 again, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Paul says, when you owned this, when you came clean about this and you confessed it and you got it right in your heart, something started happening in your life. Like you became a stronger person. You started adding attributes and characteristics to your life that you didn't have before. You became more earnest, more determined that you were going to walk with God. You, you became more concerned about truth and, and right and goodness. Well, that started happening in your life. You, you became a new person after you gave this over to God. He even uses the word indignation. You develop this healthy sense of not wanting to fail again. 
not legalistic, not beating yourself up when you fail. There's going to be times that you fail. But this indignation towards, I'm not going to follow that group anymore. Because I, I know where I ended up the last time I followed that. I'm not going to go to that place anymore. I'm not going to be in relationship with that person anymore. You develop this strength to start guarding your life from the failures and sins that are going to hurt you and lead to this regret and this death in your life. You got stronger when you repented, which never happens with just regret. We don't get stronger with regret. We don't move forward with regret. Regret just keeps pulling our mind and our attention back into the past. Maybe 2017 needs to start with you saying, I'm not going to keep rationalizing. I'm not going to keep going back. I'm owning it today. I'm bringing it to God today. Verse 12. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong. In other words, Paul is saying, like, I, I know there was a group that instigated this. I know you followed some people into this. I'm not talking about them right now. They're not even here. I'm not talking about them. Nor on account of the injured party, which actually was Paul. Paul's the one who suffered because of what they did. And Paul's saying, I'm not even talking about me. I'm not even talking about what, what the result was. This isn't about me, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are by all this we are encouraged. In other words, Paul's saying, like, I'm not talking about anybody else. I just wanted you to see you again. I just wanted you to see who God created you to be. Again, I, I wanted you to deal with this. I wanted you to stop regretting. I wanted you to stop going back. I wanted you to clean it up before God so that you would remember what God's trying to do in your life. So that you would remember where God's trying to take you. And you would, let the, you, you would stop letting the past cloud your vision for who God's calling you to be. When I saw that that happened, man, my heart was so full. My, my heart was so encouraged because I knew that you saw yourself again. You saw what God was trying to do in you. Regret doesn't do that. Regret doesn't teach us anything about ourselves. Regret doesn't motivate us to the future. Regret just keeps pulling us back into the past. Starting this new year. And some of us need to take out of our luggage, all of that stuff that keeps drawing us to the past, realizing that God has a future for you, no matter what your past is. The prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Paul, he wrote this beautiful line in Isaiah 43, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. And, and Isaiah is talking to the nation of Israel, and they have ruined everything. Just humanly speaking. The nation of Israel, at this point in their history, they had ruined everything God had been doing. They had walked away from God. The nation had been destroyed. They had been carried away into captivity. They, they had ruined everything at this point. And Isaiah, after confronting them on this, after calling them to repentance, says, all right, now here's what we do. We forget the former things. We, we don't dwell on the past. See 
Isaiah writing for God. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. No matter what the past was, God says, I'm doing something new. And I'm able to do it in your life. I'm able to make new things happen in spite of the past. I'm able to bring new growth and fresh vision and future and direction for your life. Why wouldn't we start the year that way? Why wouldn't we start the year by just coming before God and saying, God, I want to own the past. Here are the things that keep invading my thinking. And I'm sorry. And I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to repent. The, the, the reason some of us still live with regret is because we've never really repented. We're trying to manage it in our mind. We're trying to excuse it. or We're just trying to get over it and past it. And it's hanging around because we've just never come clean with God and named it what it is and taken responsibility and then received God's cleansing forgiveness as far as the east is from the west. And that'd be a great way to start 2017. God, here it is. I'm not going to relive 2016 or any year before. I'm not going to relive that thing anymore. I'm bringing it to you and I'm believing you. See, here's the other problem. If we're just honest, just, just human experience honest. For some of us, we've tried to do that 20, 50 times. We've tried to do And the problem is not that we haven't been set free. The problem is we don't believe we've been set free. The problem is not that God hasn't forgiven us. The problem is my mind doesn't believe God has forgiven me. So I keep coming. I hear a message like this, and I come back, and I bring up that same thing from five years ago that I brought up 20 times, and God's like, hey, I let that go 20 times ago. Like, you're the only one that keeps bringing it up. I'm not bringing it up. I forgave you the first time we talked about it. I separated it as far as the east is from the west 10 years ago. You're the one that keeps bringing it up. Maybe 2017 needs to start with us believing what God has said about our sin and failures of the past. That if we bring them to him, they're gone. It's over. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe there's something on your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, and maybe God's just surfacing it today. Or maybe it's that thing that every time you hear one of these messages, you say that you confess the same thing. Either way, maybe today is the day that you say, God, I'm owning it. It was me. I'm giving it to you, and I'm going to walk out of here believing that it's gone from your mind and our relationship. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? We can't just kind of rush past this and close out without giving just a few moments of, of quiet to let the Holy Spirit do His work in each of our hearts. We're eight days into 2017, and some of us are carrying stuff from 2016 and 2015 and 10 years ago and 20 years ago and the first marriage and the first breakdown. And we're still carrying stuff. And today we just we need to repent and we need to experience the freedom that's promised in Christ through his word. So whatever it is for you, 
whatever you need to unpack and leave behind in 2017, clear that up with God right now, right now.